calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover. And you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Podiobooks.com, in association with pjballantine.net and writersexchange.com, presents Weaver's Web, written and read by Philippa Ballantyne. Within the bailey, Ashime felt Jeris's destruction like something snapping within her. One moment, its thoughts were burning behind her eyes, so vast and complex she couldn't grasp them. Then there was a flare of such agony she staggered and lurched against Connor. Her teeth locked on each other and she whimpered in its grip. But the pain was little compared to the vast nothingness that came on its heels. Jerris was gone. Its thoughts that had been murmuring in the back of her head for weeks were absent. It was like a vibrant, lively hall where all the musicians were suddenly slain. She dropped her head a little, but couldn't allow herself grief yet. Connor pressed her arm. Ashime? Throwing herself erect, she nodded sharply, not daring speech yet. At her signal, the doors of the castle were swung wide, and they rolled out into the enemy. Warriors surged forward with angry cries and smashed into the ranks of still weavers. There was little fight left in them. Ashime recognised the signs. Jerris's nerve and cunning had won through for them. Matithale, the mother's curse, was mother's blessing to them. The mothers and godlings, perhaps numbering only fifty in all, directed their own attack from the wagons sheltered in the middle of the crowd. The great union had given them the sort of powers not seen since the dark times of Crispo. The wagons rolled forward under the protection of a unit of scarlet wolves. It was not an easy task to hold the nervous ponies steady while enormous powers lashed about them. Mothers and godlings, which before had only been seen as advisers and teachers, now became their main defence. Robes of purple and green lifted on unseen winds, hair of all colours twisted about them, while kind and generous faces writhed with the agony of control, eyes flashing with white light. The earth mother listened to her children and rose up at their command, smothering huge swathes of weavers with its weight. Godlings called and pointed and fire followed like mythical dragon's breath that made their enemies into inhuman torches. The hill was smothered in choking vile smoke, but despite it all, the warriors could only smell the scent of victory in their nostrils, now that the divine had seen fit to aid them. Ashima knew it couldn't last. From the front, she demanded, they carve through the narrowest section, making for the road. Dripping with blood and gore, she hacked and slashed her way through meat and bone, as if it were merely vegetation standing in the way. 
Sometimes it had the feeling of it. She chanced to look back to where Jerris had gone. The confusion of flesh that still churned there was hard on the eye. And if she concentrated too much on it, she could almost hear the cries of the Alpha within. She felt sick. Surely nothing could emerge from there. But at last they were free, feet actually on the road to the Kewal Bridge. She stood by the side of the pavement while the last of her people passed before her. Her gaze would stray to the churning mass of weaver flesh, feeling any moment it would solidify. The dispossessed and frightened passed before her. Godlings and mothers looked hollow-eyed and grim, exhausted by the great union. Some, it seemed, had slipped beyond the veil with the weight of it. Warriors, wounded and otherwise, paraded past. The stablemaster had kept hold of a few of his favourite horses. Merrick walked stony-faced beside the wagon, his hand about Solistra's. Guston and Crinus led the remnants of the Scarlet Wolves. Damon gave a curt nod to her as he passed by. She was among the last to turn her back on Skellig, and the confusion of flesh they left behind. That grumpy old castle had served its purpose. But as she let it go, as she may murmured a promise to it, that they would return. She scooped up a pale fleck of stone by the roadside and tucked it within her jerkin, letting it nestle coldly against her heart. Everyone was exhausted. So rather than the usual day, it took three to reach the bridge. They skirted the edge of the forest she had last walked with all of her friends. Some of the clanspeople, she noticed, snapped twigs from the trees and tucked them into their lathes when they thought no one was looking, murmuring promises much like her own. These little pieces of greenery would soon become mementos of a land lost to them. Every evening when they camped, Ashimay would look back through the night. Perhaps she was expecting the weavers to fall upon them. Perhaps she hoped against hope that Jerris would be there. Neither happened, though. Whatever it had gained them held. She nursed her grief within her, holding herself aloof, because she knew one kind word could send her tumbling down. With morning's arrival, they pushed on to the bridge itself. Ashimay felt a tremor of concern. This place, after all, had very bad memories for her. It swung, innocently enough, in the faint wind, like a spider's web of lace and water from this distance. It was so ancient that none of the texts she had read in Skellig's library had failed to mention it, that she was suddenly afraid of it breaking. After all, it seemed too easy, too perfect. Merrick and several units of wolves were guarding the rear, so when she saw his dark form riding an exhausted-looking horse up the slope towards her, she expected the words that came. Dust to the south he reported grimly, slipping down from his mount and awaiting her decision. She sighed, and tucked her hair swiftly up into her war braid. Get them moving, Merrick, quickly, across the bridge. She hadn't really been expecting Jairus's sacrifice to save them completely. Such a mass of people was not swiftly moved, but the threat of weavers falling on them helped most along. The wolves poked and prodded them into action, snarling and barking, as their name suggested. The clanspeople no doubt felt a certain inevitability to it all. What did it matter if they crossed the bridge? They still had a distance to get to the harbour in safety. Ashimay, however, was damned as she was going to have come this far and fail. Horses whinnied, and children screamed, but their parents were stoically silent. Soon the remainders of Crisfell were funnelling swiftly along the bridge. Who could say if it had ever taken such a load before, but there was no alternative. Ashimay waited as they streamed before her, calculating each grim look and shattered hope. But they still lived, and while they did, Crisfell did not fall. Ashimay's hand rested lightly on the tough, foremost cable, while her eyes scanned the horizon behind her. No doubt about it, the weavers were pursuing, and they were not tired or afraid. 
Her mind told her that Jerris was not among their number. Connor, Crinus, Guston and Merrick gathered about her, tattered-looking, but still resolute. Guston chuckled grimly. <laughs> now these are the kinds of odds Rosa would have appreciated. I wish she was here to see them. She sighed and looked over to the progress across the bridge. The tail end of the cavalcade was already over halfway there. She put her foot on the bridge and led the last of her companions across too. Once they reached the middle, she stopped, and they exclaimed in confusion. This is where it all changed for me, as she may said, leaning reflectively on the balustrade, where I found truth. For all the world, she could have been a young maid awaiting her lover on that bridge. Er, uh, yes, Crinus tugged on her arm. That's very nice, Ash, but can we make a move now? They could see the massive weavers cresting the hill behind them. The only sound was the relentless thump of their feet on the ground. She faced them then, her eyes green and very wide, feral almost. Go. If you obey me in anything, let it be this. Get out of here. I don't think so. Connor planted himself firmly, his back to the onrushing weavers. This is no request, she said, and they could feel the hum of power about her and in the air. As High Chief, I order you three to escort Connor to the other side, from there to Kewell Harbour and to Sitkin. We need him. Connor smirked. I said I won't. He yelled as her friends pounced upon him. He struggled, but they had the experience of dealing with soldiers before. Ash! He pleaded. You don't know what you're doing. But I do. She stroked the young line of his face. Now all of you get out of here. Make sure there is some of Crisfell to come back and avenge me. One day. They clasped her hand, scar to scar, eyes bright with the loss they felt already. But they left. Guston, Crinus and Merrick were dragging the protesting Connor with them. What had been said was said, and they were warriors still. The unsick Ken's eyes were pleading with her, but she was beyond all that. She waited on the bridge for the weavers. The foaming rush of them rolled down the hill in their usual silence. Her skin trembled at their coming. Did she really think she had Jerris's strength to do this? Before the bridge, the force halted, and a lone, dark figure strode out from among them. For a brief second, she thought perhaps it might be Jerris, but only for a brief moment. As she may should have known who it would be, Garin, just as she remembered him, but girded with more power than he ever had as Duke. He moved towards her with the confident grace of the ultimate predator. Eyes glowed with their alien golden light. As he pulled up just short of her, she unsheathed her sword. This was what had destroyed Jerris. Looking down at her mildly, the alpha weaver sighed. Why must Why you must always, always struggle, struggle against, against us? us? Struggle's what we are, she said. Perhaps one day you'll understand that. We only, only wish, wish the wish best, best for you. Garen's lip curled in a smile. Once, Once you are with him, you'll understand. I have no wish for that. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. matter. As it shrugged, she attacked. The Alpha, though, had not abandoned Garen's sword. It deflected her blow all too easily with supple grace. She circled away warily, unsure how much of Garen's skill it still maintained. Come within, he hummed. Why, Jerris and Garina, all you love are inside us. Never, she said, 
sending and ringing attack, snapping towards its face. They didn't ask for it. You stole them. It shrugged eloquently. Its attack altered as swiftly as a wind change. Catching her blow on the length of his sword, the alpha turned its own blade to the attack. They traded, probing exchanges for a few moments, testing the other's skill and strength. Hashime had always found herself faster in practice with Garen before, but the weaver was just as swift, if not more so. Added to this was the fact it never seemed to give away its strikes before making them. Hashime considered herself adept at reading her opponent's moves. Usually their eyes or posture shifted heartbeats before the attack. The alpha didn't. She drove him back a few paces, whirling in short, deadly arcs that he seemed momentarily confused by. But fancy swordplay was not all Ashime knew. Bright, tense notes rang out as steel met steel, and then she punched out with a sharp kick, catching Garen on his unarmed knee. The sound of cartilage crunching usually followed. When it didn't, she frowned a little, presuming her aim had been off. Garen's arm flashed out, aiming a deadly cut at her legs, and she caught the blow awkwardly on her buckler, feeling the real strength of it hit all the way up her arm. It was, as she may reminded herself, weaver strength. Quicker than thought, he lashed out for her head. Her muscles still sore from the last parry. She only just managed to get her buckler above her brow. The power of this blow was even greater. She heard the splinter of wood and leather as her trusty shield finally gave way. Ashime let the impetus of the blow roll her out of range. Shaking off the remains hastily, she scrambled to her feet. Her hand went to the small of her back, freeing the narrow length of dagger from its sheath there. Her body ached from the many surface cuts she was taking, and she knew that her form would give out long before Garen's weaver-aided one would. Putting all her might into a strike, she turned her blade at the last moment so that their crossed pieces locked. Of course, there was no way she could win a battle of strength with him, but that was not Ashime's aim. While their arms strained against each other, she lashed out with her dagger, plunging it into the top of his shoulder. The angle was awkward, and it didn't penetrate as she hoped. Still, when they broke away, it remained buried in his flesh. Ashime's warrior spirit lifted a little, and in the back of her mind was the knowledge that each second she gained, she gained for her people. Not wanting to lose her impetus, she launched another powerful offensive of snaps and blows, with smooth ease born of all her experience. It culminated in a skilful feint to Garen's head that turned midpoint to become a strike to his side. The sound of bone breaking was joyful to her ears. He didn't even wince. Beneath the shattered leather of his armour, she saw with horror flesh knitting and healing before her eyes, just like the sea gobbling up a mark on the shore. Her warrior blood boiled at the ease at which he was defeating her. She gathered herself and sprang at him. Her charge carried them both against the pale cables of the bridge. They grappled furiously, blade to blade. While Garen held his with suppleness in one hand, Ashime was forced to hold her hilt two-handed, merely to meet his strength, and even then she could feel her muscles weakening. They were so close their breaths fell on each other, as if they were lovers once again. Alpha and Garen's body smiled a little. We saw you, we saw fall, you fall, he murmured, pressing his body in on hers as she strained against him. You were, you were beautiful as you as did. She didn't reply, but a low growl of frustration and dismay boiled out of her. He leaned in closer, and she feared he would break her. It was an instantaneous thing when he plucked the dagger from his shoulder with one hand. She caught his movement from the corner of her eye and tried to shift away, but still he rammed it home. The blade went into her hip. The pain was intense, but she managed not to drop her defence. With a cry of agony, her remaining strength surged through her arms, and she shoved him away. 
She staggered back against the rail of the bridge, feeling the wet course of her own blood down her leg and into her boot. Wrenching free the blade, she glared at Garin through her sweat-soaked hair. As she may knew, then, that she couldn't defeat it. All her warrior's strength and courage would not avail her now. It would step in, arms wide, and take her flesh, perhaps even more easily than it had possessed Garin's. There seemed only one way. You want me to accept you, she hissed, not bothering to stem the flow of blood from her side. You want me to become what you are. <laughs> then very well. <laughs> By all means. She opened the floodgates. All the anger and frustration, all the loneliness and thirst for vengeance in her life, she allowed room. The bane of her father, which she'd struggled against all her life, she finally let free. Rage screamed through all her nerve endings, making them snap and cry out. The golden-white light of it bloomed from every pore in her body, making it seem like a new sun was being born on the bridge. Her hair streamed free, forming a scarlet halo about her. As she may roared until the air seemed not enough to hold the sound, she was a light. She was fire and power. The song of the flesh reached a mighty crescendo inside her head. The things she could sense, the fear of those watching from the other side of the bridge, the shock of the alpha... These were all things she could almost taste. She felt fully alive. She felt like a goddess. The Alpha in Garin's body blinked, taken aback by her change. Only, Only now, now do you truly, truly see, see what it is to be a weaver. Now you will... Eshime's eyes flicked open. All green was gone behind them, all consumed in a blaze of golden white light. They helped her see everything, all those who were not here, but lingered in her mind. Allegre, Rosa, and Jerris seemed so very, very near. In a blur that not even the Alpha could comprehend, she was upon Garin. He was a feather against the storm of her rage. She scooped him up, raising him high above her head. Only now do you see, she returned, what it is to be human and alone. She sent him spinning free, tumbling through the air as she had once. As she may, however, didn't watch. The other weavers rushed across the bridge towards her, screaming in hatred. Oh, how they despised the destroyer of the Alpha. They were as angry as bees when a nest is kicked. Jerris's fate she would share. Beneath her hand, the spiderweb of the bridge trembled. I know your secret, she whispered to it. I know what you are, bridge of the weavers, flesh of my flesh. You have served my island well. Now serve us again. Planting her hand on the cable bridge, she called on her father's gift. Teeth and claws clamoured to claim her, but she was a comet of fire, capable of anything in that brief moment. With all of her weaver strength, she pulled and tore. Enraged muscles burned and flamed, but protesting, the bridge obeyed her. The weavers scrambled to retreat as the support snapped. The structure began to collapse, screaming as cables twanged like broken harp strings. Some caught weavers in mid-flight, slicing them in two as they fled. Ashime, though, stayed, with the bridge twisting beneath her, obedient to the cause of gravity, until it finally surrendered. She made no attempt to flee. It would all end here. Her arm was tangled in the bridge, and she rode it down as it slammed into the far side of the cliff. 
falling once again, she whispered. Always falling, it seems. Sweet death released her slowly. Its grip was, as always, light. I'm either blessed or cursed, as she may have told herself. Sorry, my friends. I won't see you so soon after all. Beneath her she felt the familiar roll of a ship, but to her battered senses it seemed soothing. Smells like the sweet lady, she thought to herself. Her body was far off, distant, but moaning. I tell you, she's not going to make it. Is that Vral's cranky voice? Damn them. Couldn't anyone get any rest? A minor flare of anger allowed her enough strength. She fluttered her eyes open. Connor's gentle brogue was tinged with laughter. <laughs> Would you care to put a bet on that, Vral? All of their familiar, beloved faces swirled about her, including Lord Damon's. No sense of pain, she wanted to tell them. I'm all right, no pain. Her mouth worked a little. There were things to be done. Connor's fingers sealed her lips. Don't hush. All we need to know is that you're all right. And we can see that. Crinus grinned at her. So, when we saw you light up like that... Don't bother her with that now, Gustav nudged him sharply. Just rest, child. Lou's voice came from an odd angle she couldn't quite see. Rest and grow strong again. She let her eyelids fall. None of them knew it, but her weaver blood would secure her that little miracle. Fortitude that she now shared with Garen. That fall was not impossible to survive, she reminded herself. After all, she had done it. But that was for later. For now, rest would be good. Yes, rest for a time would be very good. It was Connor that finally shooed the others away and draped her with a blanket. He paused for a moment, looking down at her, stifling emotions that were for the moment too raw to touch. Then, shutting the cabin door, he strolled out onto the deck. Those whom he now thought of as friends were clustered around the stern of the boat, faces stretched with smiles, clapping each other on the back, feeling that they had won. It was a feeling Connor didn't have, and he didn't want to share the lack of it with them now. They deserved a moment of joy after so much pain. So he walked to the prow, where he could be alone with his darker thoughts. Chris Fell had already fallen away behind them, and a favourable wind had leapt up. It was a good sign, and certainly no mother claimed responsibility for it. The crossing would be dangerous, even in the powerful Marakai ships. But for his part, Connor was filled with worry, concerned with a far different subject. He'd never been so glad to see anything as he had been when he found Ashime's battered body still tangled with the remains of the Kuil Bridge. The mother must have smiled to put her on that side, rather than the other, where the weavers could be seen raging. But that success had only temporarily disguised the ill ease he'd been feeling for weeks. They were sailing for his home, Sitcan, as Ashime had wanted, but not to the place she was thinking of. The Sitcan of the Crisfell nightmares didn't exist. No grim castles or fortresses awaited them. Connor shuddered to think of the broad avenues and undefended fields of his gentle home. He'd wanted to tell Ashime, wanted to prepare her, but he could never find the words. Generations of Crisfell clanspeople had built up the image of their enemy, but it was no longer so. 
they had passed beyond all that into what they termed civilization. What sort of protection could his people offer the shattered remains of Crisfell? What ease could they provide when Ashime saw what awaited her? Connor hunkered down among the salt-encrusted ropes of the ship, bracing himself against the swell of the sea. <sighs> I wish you were here, Jarris, my friend, he said to no one in particular. And I wish there was somewhere, anywhere else to go. He hadn't felt so alone since his mad journey to the island they were now leaving. It felt like a very long time ago. His eye wandered to the fragile line of ships that followed after Sweet Lady. Ashime had won a sort of victory from the moor of the weavers, but how long would that last? And what would her rage be like when she realised how futile it had all been? <laughs> Sleep on, Ash, Connor sighed. You will need it all, I think. And truthfully, he was as trapped as she was. Jerris's earnest face demanded he keep his word, as did his own heart. Surely his fate was as chained to the high chiefs as hers was to her people, and their fate rested solely in the mother's hands. Connor sighed, and with a mighty effort shrugged away his maudlin thoughts. He wanted to see Ashime again, even if it was just to watch her sleep. It was something Jerris would have done, and therefore something right. Connor, unlike his lost friend, was alive, and he knew he should appreciate all that Jerris would miss. So for now, he put aside all those worries, and let them wait for another time. He would sail the sea, and go home to face what waited there. The mother's hand would guide them. For this moment there were friends, and Ashime, and a victory snatched from defeat. It was more than many had, and more than enough for now. Jerris would have understood. And that's the end of Weaver's Web. I just wanted to say thank you for taking the time to download and listen to it. I've had lots of fun reading it and producing these casts, and hopefully you've managed to understand me beyond the New Zealand accent. Weaver's Web was my very first novel, so perhaps if you like this podcast, you might like to try my award-nominated second novel, Chasing the Bard, which is a historical fantasy and is available now from Dragon Moon Press and Amazon.com. Or if you're interested in finding out a bit more about me, then you can go to my website, which is pjballantine.net. As always in this podcast, you've heard Ghost Song by Hands Upon Black Earth, which is available from that fantastic website, magnitude.com. And all of the incidental music is produced by T. Morris, who I would like to thank for getting me into this podcast. And like, and if you're interested in finding a bit more about T, then go to tmorris.com. Anyway, that's the end of this podio book. I hope you've enjoyed it, and thanks for listening. We hope you're enjoying this free, serialized audiobook. If you like what you're hearing, please tell a friend. Better yet, tell a friend and leave a contribution for the book at podiobooks.com. At least 75% of your donation will go straight to the author or producer. So please, be generous. And thanks for listening.